if you want to be really unhappy, uh-huh. sit around all day thinking about how to make yourself happy. <laughs> if you want right. to be really happy, right? lose yourself in something you really care about. Mm. And you'll find that happiness finds you. It's like kind of like sleep, right? The worst thing you do if you can't get to sleep at night is think, my God, I have to get to sleep. I have to right. get to sleep. The best thing you can do is actually forget about sleep mm. and just think about something else. And before you know it, sleep arrives. Welcome to the Audacious Living Podcast, hosted by my man, Audley Stevenson, the odd man. He'll unpack wisdom and insights from a cross-section of top quality performers in business, media, sports, entertainment, and lifestyle to uncover key elements to help you live your best audacious life ever. So without further ado, here is The Odd Man. Greetings and salutations. It's Audley Stevenson back for another edition of the most audacious podcast the internet has to offer. This is the Audacious Living Podcast, and I appreciate you for being here as we continue our ongoing goal of helping listeners live their best audacious lives ever. As always, I encourage you to connect with us through our social media channels. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, or you could also subscribe to our YouTube, YouTube channel and simply by hitting the bell down below. Ding, ding, ding. And uh, that way you're connected to all good things audacious related. Now, on this episode of the podcast, we're going to dive into the topic of happiness. And to be more specific, we'll look at the things that interfere and rob our ability to actually experience the happiness that we're all deserving of. Now, Dr. John Izzo is a guest, and I got to say, I'm a big fan of, of his work, and I have been for a very long time. Uh, you know, he, he wrote a book a few years ago called Stepping Up, uh, which talked a lot, of, a lot about how each of us can take responsibility for our actions. And, you know, the, 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 the other thing that we can take total responsibility for is our happiness. I truly believe that much of our own personal happiness stems from the quality of thoughts that we have. And so it was really a delight and a privilege and an honor to explore the topic with Dr. John is of, of our personal happiness and, and dive a bit deeper to, uh, as he helps us identify the things that can rob us of our happiness. I, I think you guys really are going to enjoy this conversation. I won't lie. Like I said, I, I, because I'm a big fan of his, I was a bit giddy. There's no question about that. But uh, truly, I really appreciated him for being here. So without any further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. John Izzo. Enjoy. Dr. John, it is a pleasure to have you with me today on the Audacious Living Podcast. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Great to be here. And I love the name of your podcast. Well, it's, it's that, and so thank you for that. Uh, it very much is in line with sort of what I feel is important. We, we were sort of talking earlier about the importance of demonstrating aud you know, audaciousness through our actions and, and through how we, we live our lives. And uh, I think that's, from, from my perspective at least, that's kind of the foundation of our success. And so, um, yeah, I'm gr 
great to do this, great to do this here with you. Um, it's very much in line with you know your work, and I know you certainly encourage certain people to step up and take responsibility and, and live excuse-free and happiness and all these things, and we're going to dive into that. Uh, but I, I guess you know, you know, one of the things looking at, you've offered nine books, Nine books under your belt, um, a, a whole host of sort of uh, sort of develop, self development sort of angles and, and 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 helping people get to that better 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 place, if you will. Where did it all start for you, Doctor? Where, where what what got you on this path? Well, you know, it's it's a great question, and you know, I think uh, I guess three things really strike me. Uh, first of all, uh, you know, I grew up with a, a single mom. Uh, you know, my mom and dad split up when I was quite young in a, in a time when that was really unusual, you know, in the uh, early 1960s. Uh, and, uh, you know, my mom, I think, just encouraged me to be my best self. Uh, I think from the very beginning, uh, she probably when I was in the in the crib, I was told, look, you're, you, you, you do something with your life, right? And, and my mother really was uh, big on, you know, your kind of uh, value is not your paycheck, it's your contribution, you yes. know, it's not how much you get, it's how much you give. And I think uh, just, you know, even as a young child, uh, I loved spiritual material, I loved, um, you know, thinking about the meaning of life, and I loved storytelling. Uh, and so I think from that upbringing, I grew up in a very spiritual home as well, where, you know, we were taught that service was, you know, the path. And so uh, I think that's really where it where it began for me. And in fairness, you know, I grew up as a young boy in, in New York City, uh, you know, during the civil rights movement, uh -huh. Kennedy and King being assassinated, the Vietnam War. Uh, and, and just this sense that, you know, the, the world needed to become a better place. And either right. you were going to be a part of that conversation or you weren't. Gotcha. And so I guess I decided I wanted to be a part of it. So. Oh, I love it. I love it. The idea of being a part of that conversation. I mean, again, we this podcast is very much about those conversations as well and, and how we can contribute positively to the world around us. And and when you look at the, sort of the, the, the despair, if you will, for lack of a better word, uh, that's going on, uh, the, the, the work that you do certainly does have value. Were you, were you as, as, as you're sort of going through your career, were you, were you, I guess what I'm trying to understand is, when you landed professionally, like, uh, did, did you were able to understand, like, do you make that connection to sort of what your mom was talking about, making this world a better place? Did you know that you could do that professionally through your work? Yeah, you know, um, I tell people there's three careers I considered in my life. One is I thought about journalism. I wanted to, I always loved to write and I wanted right. to kind of write about what was happening in the world and tell stories of how it could be a better place. I thought about going to law school to uh, go into politics. Okay. Uh, again, I, 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 that was a time when politics wasn't a dirty word. I mean, it's always <laughs> been a little dirty, but it was like there were a lot, you know, it wasn't considered a bad thing to go into politics. And finally, uh, uh, to become a Presbyterian minister, which is what I wound up doing. I was ordained as wow. a Presbyterian minister, spent uh, eight years in the parish. And even then, I realized two things. One is that I loved preaching. I loved inspiring people and, and really calling them to be their best selves. You know, you, talk, you and I talked yes. about that. Yes. And then second, that, uh, you know, I was really good at helping other people lead. 
So even when I was a church minister, other ministers would like, I feel I wasn't a very good leader, or at least <laughs> mediocre maybe, but I seemed to be really good at advising other people to be leaders. Right. So other ministers would say, come help me grow this church. So when I went back and got my PhD and started in the field of organization development, you know, I just realized I had a knack at, at, at teaching and, and advising and I like to say, oddly, I wound up marrying my three careers. I've written nine books that have all nice. been journalistic enterprises to find out what's working, whether it's people who step up and how you can step up or people yes. who found happiness and how you can find happiness uh, or people who created soulful, engaging Love workplaces it. and how you can do that. And I I'm, I'm never ran for office, but I'm involved in issues I care about from world peace to yes. uh, the environment. So I kind of feel I married my three careers and I preach all the time, all over the world. Oh. The only difference is I don't have to write a new sermon every week so <laughs> I can find a new audience. <laughs> I love it. But I do love the fact that, you know, you, you, you again, mar marrying the three and, and, and how nicely you've done that. And, and really what that says to me is that, you know, we, we all can find our sweet spots, right? We all have that place that, and I, we'll tie this into happiness because I'm sure this is a part of it as well too, that, that zone of happiness, that place where we, you know, we, we can be most fulfilled, most satisfied and most, and then all sorts of great things like creativity and innovation can come out of that. So it sounds like that's very much where you are uh, with which is fabulous. Yeah, you know, just to pick up on that, you know, uh, you know, maybe there are some young people watching this or just people in the middle of their career, just somebody saying, even in retirement, where can I add the best value to the world and be my happiest? And I always teach people, it's really the intersection of four things. First, your gifts, the things you're good at, you know, yes. like I'm a good writer, I'm a good speaker, you know, I'm a good kind of idea person. Uh, then your bliss which your bliss are the things that you do, you lose track of time when you do them. So I'm a good writer, but I hate writing. It's like torture for me. I'm good at it, but I don't, I don't lose track of time. But when I'm talking to someone, like I'm talking to you, I lose track of time. I'm just like all there. So your bliss, your gifts, then your purpose. What's the difference you want to mm. make in the world? And some people, they you know, it's about politics or some people it's helping individuals be their best for other people. It's about changing the system. Uh, right. For some people it's about helping organize things. What's your purpose? What's the contribution you want to make? And finally, something we don't always think about is what's the lifestyle that you want? Do you want freedom and autonomy? Do you like being in the team? Like I always hated having a boss. So I always knew you know, for me, I had to have a lot of freedom. I had to be my own boss because I didn't like being told what to do. But other people like that structure. So I think if you can figure out those four things, your bliss, your gifts, your purpose, and the life where the, the more, not so much the lifestyle, but the environment in which you thrive. Yes. Then you can find your happiest, yes. most, uh, I guess, uh, contributory self, which again, if you want to make money, if you find that sweet spot, that's oh, wow. where you'll make the most money because you're doing what you love right. and you're good at and something right. you care about where you thrive. So right. you know, right. whatever right. your goal right. is, that's the sweet spot. And we've all heard, all heard that saying, you know, if you, you find something you love, you don't feel like you're working ever again. So I think that yeah, very yeah, much yeah. ties into that. Well, I want to jump into your book, The Five Thieves of Happiness. Before I want it, before I, I just have to go back to the purpose of the, I know you, you, you identify those three, but the purpose for me, what really stands out, because we, we always talk about that why. Why am I doing what I'm doing? What's getting me out of bed? Why am I continuing to persevere when I'm tired, exhausted, don't have the energy, right? I want to sort of talk about that, that process 
of discovering your why because i think for a lot of people dr john it's it's about trying to figure out well okay what is my why what and you people ask what what is my purpose how do i figure that out what does that process kind of look like yeah and as you know i've written a lot about purpose and i'll tell you an interesting exercise i do as I travel around the world, often during like a keynote speech, I'll just ask people, I'm talking about purpose and why it matters. Yep. And then I'll say, I'm going to give you 35, 35 to 45 seconds to ask yourself, what is your purpose? What's right. the reason you get up in the morning, the thing that matters the most to you, what you're trying to do in the world? Just give you 45 seconds. I want you to think about that. Then I say, turn to connect with one person around you and share your purpose and don't be embarrassed. Don't be like humble. Just say this, my, you know, hi, I'm Audley. Hi, I'm John. My purpose is. Yep. Then I ask, and the room just buzzes, right? Yep. Yep. Then yep. I ask people this question, raise your hand if it wasn't perfect, but roughly it felt right with only 45 seconds of preparation. What you just said kind of felt like that's really who I am. 90% of people will raise their hand. Yeah, you know, it wasn't mm. perfect. but So my first point is most of us know what our purpose is. Yes. If we just allow ourselves, a coach I worked with years ago said, John, whenever you don't know the answer to a question, pretend you do know and answer it. But here's for those who say, okay, it didn't come to me. Here, My wife, who's a teacher, a high school teacher, yeah. uh, she taught me, says to me that... Um, to find your purpose, one of the most profound things is to remember what you cared most about, sorry, what you loved most to do as a child and what bothered you most about the world as a child. Mm -hmm. I'll use myself as an example. As a child, I loved, uh, you know, uh, hearing people's stories and telling stories and entertaining people, right? I loved um, meeting new people, right? I loved entertaining. And what bothered me most about the world was a lack of compassion or kindness, whether it was to another human being or an animal or even an ant. And not surprisingly, oddly, my purpose has wound up being to spread as much compassion and kindness in the world as I can in every interaction nice. and to accelerate the shift of humanity to create a positive future for all living things. And now, it, now I didn't know what that was when I was right. 10 years old, Right. but I, I loved to entertain people. I knew I loved stories yes. and I knew what bothered me the most about the world was a lack of kindness and compassion. So I think going back to your child and remembering before the world told you what you were supposed to love, what did you love before the world told you what you should be angry about, what made you angry? Right. And that can be a great soil to discover your purpose. You know, I, I think when you're when you when you state it right, you're very definitive, and this is what it is. If you know, we talk about the universe sort of conspiring, right? It sort of seems that when you, when you do that, things sort of point in that direction, and you get guided almost. And it certainly sounds like that was a little bit in your case where you made it clear this is what I want my purpose to be, and you you're, you, yeah. you state that definitively, and everything falls into place, and that's that's a beautiful thing. Thank you. And it, it's, of course, it evolves, right? Again, I don't want people to think, oh, at 17, I said exactly what John is <laughs> says now at 64. Not the case, right? Right. Um, and another thing is just notice as you go through your day and you have a moment when you say, well, I really was all in in that. I really cared about that. I felt proud that in that moment, 
something was different because I was there. Because, you know, it's there, you just have to notice. You don't have to, you don't have to uh, make up your purpose. You just have to discover it. So you discover yes. it by keeping your eyes open and noticing, yeah. wow, in that yeah. moment, I was fully alive. I was my best self. I, I yes. cared about being there in that moment. Yes, yes. Awareness. Awareness is big, right? And oftentimes, Awareness. the clues are right there. We just weren't. You know, it's almost like it's almost like you know when someone you know, someone will talk about a, a car, let's say, and you've never heard of before. And all of a sudden, you're seeing them all the time. You're like, oh, I never heard of this particular kind of car, and now you see these cars all over the place. And as an example of the awareness yeah, thing, very true. <laughs> uh, let's talk about the five thieves of happiness and what made you land on that, uh, and 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 very, very and, and happiness specifically is what we're talking about now, uh, which is slightly different than you know compassion uh, and, and kindness. Can you talk about personal happiness they're, they're part of the same family with no question about that but there's still this happiness is a bit separate is it not yeah yeah and uh and people looking at my work sometimes go oh, what's, what's this guy like about because i've written these uh you know of the nine books you know uh uh probably uh four of them were leadership books and creating a great workplace uh you know uh, uh two of them three of them were about personal happiness right uh, and then one of them stepping up as you said was kind of a bridge book you know yes. about, you know how do people step up and really make a bigger difference and, and really be bold as you talked about as an agent of change yes but you know i've always been fascinated by happiness why were some people happier than others why were some people more centered and less stressed than others uh and and so I've written two books that really were, you know, bang on around happiness. One called The Five Secrets You Must Discover Before You Die, in which I interviewed uh, 250 people from the age of 60 to 106 who had only one thing in common. Someone had said, this is the happiest, wisest, older person I know. And between them, they had 18,000 years of life experience. Only one thing in common from town barbers and hermits to CEOs and poets. One thing in common, someone said, whatever it is, this is the older person I know who found it. And, and so in that book, I wrote about these five secrets that I discovered to happiness. And, and then after having written it, I, I, about uh, eight years later, I realized there was another side of happiness, mm -hmm. which was, these were the things they said, when you do this, you'll find happiness. And they said things like, know your most authentic self, know what your formula is and be yourself. Uh, they said, live in the moment, don't live in the past, don't live in the future, be in this moment, fully present. They said, uh, be a giver, not a taker, you know, uh, and they said, uh, you know, don't regret your failures, uh, right. you'll regret the things you don't try. But what I realized was there was another side, which was the things you don't want to do in order to be happy. And so I wrote this follow-up book called The Five Thieves of Happiness, because I started realizing that these were, they, these were the things you have to do to be happy, but they're also these things that can rob your happiness, things like control and feeling like you, you know, uh, are are have to be in control of everything whereas almost all of our deepest unhappiness comes from not accepting whatever's happening at any moment right not accepting as in like you know passivity but saying accepting the things i can't change uh, uh the thief of of comparison 
where we really start to judge our life by comparing ourselves to others instead of being our most authentic self. So these two books are kind of a companion of each other. One, the things we must do, and five, the kind of mindsets that we must, uh, uh, if you will, master. Otherwise, they'll come in and rob our happiness. Right. You know, they'll kind of, right. you know, uh, take it away from us. So right. the, the two books kind of go together in a lot of ways. I think the timing of this, the, 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 the book and the topic, considering, I mean, we're, we're not, while we're not all the way out of the pandemic and, you know, COVID still very much existence uh, and part of our lives now, I think the timing of this topic is a good one because uh, where you look at where we're at in the world right now, this is exactly what we need, John. Is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah. And in the book, The Five Thieves of Happiness, I also uh, uh, talk about the way these these thieves also work at the societal level. Mm. So let's take control as an example. Many of our problems in our relationships, whether they're between individuals in a marriage or society, in a workplace, in a community, in the world, is us trying to get other people to see the world the way we see it. Right. Instead of really being open to the idea that this is another human being, another group of people, another society, they may not see the world the way we see it, right? And if I'm married, another human being who's actually on their own life's journey. I would say the biggest problem in marriage is people think there's it's one movie, <laughs> but actually you have a guest starring role in someone else's movie. Your <laughs> wife, your husband, your partner has their own movie. Right. And if I try to control you, get you to live my movie instead of being a good uh, actor or actress in your movie, so you don't write me out of the script. And, you know, so I, I think that these thieves are relevant at the societal as well as the individual level. Right, right. So, so again, let's, let's run through the thieves real quickly here. There's talk about comparison. Comparison is one of them. Yep. Uh, uh, comfort. Comfort. Okay. And by comfort, what I meant is like not growing, okay. like getting wed to a pattern in our life. Like stagnation. That may, yeah, that may have served us at one time, but doesn't anymore. I'll right. give you a simple example, right? Maybe you grew up in a home where there was a lot of anger. Okay. And the way that you survived as a child is you were the peacemaker. Gotcha. You kind of kept your parents' things from exploding in the house. But now, whenever there's conflict as an adult, just authentic, legitimate conflict, you try to be the peacemaker instead of assertingly standing up for yourself. So at one time, you did that to survive, but it no longer works for you. And the same thing in society. You know, a simple example, oddly, is, you know, when humans were few and, and nature was big, it made sense sense for us to have a paradigm of conquering nature let's subdue nature but now we're the most powerful force in nature so now we have to be a helper of nature not a conqueror of nature but we're still acting like we were when there were only a few human beings and nature was all powerful and we were small right. but it doesn't serve us anymore so comfort is the willingness to grow and to learn and not to take old patterns yes. to apply them to new reality. Right, right. right. Well, and it's really... easy to do that too, right? It's easy to fall yeah. back in old ways. I get it, yeah. for sure. Another thief is the thief of conceit. 
Okay. Which is really the focus on the self. You know, mm. one of the things that's really interesting when, when you're young, people tell you the secret of life is to find yourself. And it's, it is true to know your most authentic self. I've written about that to know what is true for you, your formula for happiness, your purpose, your bliss. But, you know, I learned in throughout my life and in the interview in that first book, The Five Secrets, that actually uh, the, the happiest people are the people who lose themselves. They, they realize that the more you're a part of the bigger conversation, you don't think the world revolves around you. You lose, you, right. you, you realize uh, that, you know, that your really purpose in life is to add value to all of life, right? And, and, and think of how much of our unhappiness comes from thinking about our own happiness. <coughs> I always tell people, excuse me. Nice. If you want to be really unhappy, uh -huh. sit around all day thinking about how to make yourself happy. <laughs> if you want right. to be really happy, right. lose yourself in something you really care about. Mm. And you'll find that happiness finds you. It's like kind of like sleep, right? The worst thing you do if you can't get to sleep at night is think, my God, I have to get to sleep. I have to right. get to sleep. The best thing you can do is actually forget about sleep mm. and just think about something else. And before you know it, sleep arrives. So right. conceit is this kind of way in which if we're not careful, we, 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 we keep trying to find happiness by turning inward instead of really joining the bigger conversation moment to moment so gotcha. anyway those gotcha. are some of the themes got yeah. you got you um uh, so so, so I mean, first of all, i think i think they're all great because uh they're practical things and, and and as you're i mean as you're talking i'm going yeah i can see that and right away you're sort of i'm thinking about my own life and i'm sure some of our listeners are sort of doing that same as well i would imagine there's points as you're going through your research and preparing and your writing you reflected on your own life as well in terms of, you know, and maybe checking yourself and where I'm at and am I doing these things? How do you kind of keep yourself grounded through that writing process of this book? Yeah. Well, first of all, one of my mentors, Trudy Sop, who was my first manager when I got into the field of organization development, great, great woman lives in San Diego, still friends. Trudy Sop said to me, and I was only in my 20s, John, most of us teach what we most need to learn. <laughs> So the guy or gal who's out there speaking about organize, being organized, I guarantee you at some time they were like the most disorganized people. The reason they were passionate about organization is because they yeah. didn't know how to do it, right? Yeah, so yeah. I feel like at each stage of my life, oddly, you know, my first book, Awakening Corporate Soul, was after I had left a company with a hostile takeover where I'd been treated poorly and I got interested. I wonder how a workplace could be better than that, right? Uh, you know, I'm a pretty happy person, but I said, I want to be even more happy. So I wrote the five secrets of happiness, right? Uh, stepping up, I felt I had myself had played it too safe. And so, you know, uh, now, oh, you know, maybe 13 years ago, I wrote the first version of stepping up because I went out and said, I want to talk to people who stepped up and Love really it. went out of the box to make Love change because I want to step up in my life. So, uh, you know, one of the greatest ways to move towards something in your life is to go out and talk to people already doing it. Yes. And so I have found that for me, almost all of my books represent uh, some area myself I want to grow in. But to your question, I have a couple of practices I do every day that, that have really shaped my life. I always tell people we become our habits. Yes, yes. We don't, be, people say you become what you think about. No, you become your habits. Mm -hmm. Habit is destiny, right? So here's, 
here's four habits that I do every day. Mm-hmm. First, every day at the end of the day, I ask myself, what are three things I'm grateful for from the day? The second thing at the end of every day, I ask myself, was this mostly a happy day or a less happy day? What made it a happy or a less happy day? And what's one small change I want to make tomorrow based on how today went? The third thing I do is every day I ask, what's one moment today I feel I made a difference? And I just want to notice it and celebrate it and also be aware of when that happens for me so I can create more of it. And then the fourth discipline that I do uh, every day is uh, I walk a meaningful amount every day, on average of 15 to 20,000 steps a day. For me, I'm a walking meditator. Uh, you know, Eckhart Tolle, who wrote The Power of Now, said, yes. for some people, meditation is this. For other people, they, they meditate while they're walking. Mm. So I find I walk, I get out in nature wherever I can, and that's my moment to just kind of ground myself. So I do those four things uh, uh, almost every single day. Right. And I believe that it shapes my life. So uh, habit is destiny. Gotcha, gotcha. And I think it's so important that you identify those things and 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 and, and almost you know you 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 fall, you fall back if you will, John. Where it's like this is what I have to do. Do you find if if ever a day happens that you don't do any of those things, do you find a difference? You... Yeah, of course, of course. Wow. But then wow. I get back and do it, and you don't beat yourself up. Well, God, you know, I haven't I haven't done the gratitude for three days. We'll do it today. You know, I ate the Cheetos the last three. That's great. Eat the <laughs> celery today, right? Uh, Got it. You know, and that's one of the things I teach in my in my book, right? You can't do anything about any moment, but this moment you're in. Gotcha. If I wasn't my best self yesterday at work, I wasn't my most audacious self. If I wasn't my kindest self, I cannot do anything about that. Nor can I do anything about what I'm going to be like a week from now. Right. All I can do is do today, this moment. And by checking in every day how the day went, I actually, I have in my awareness as I go into the next day. Ah, you know, I want to, I wasn't as generous today as I wanted to be. The other thing I do is I have a, that I learned from my friend Marshall Goldsmith, who's written Uh a bunch of books. I have a set of questions I ask myself about my, my life every day. Right. And they're all yes or no questions. So once a day, I have it on my desk. I just go through the questions. You know, was I generous today? Did I make time for my wife today? Mm. Did I connect with a friend today? Mm. Uh, Did I waste time today on anything that wasn't that was a distraction? Yes. And not really core to how I want to spend my time. And all I do is just answer those questions. Yes or no every day. And slowly by doing that, I think you navigate to where you want to be and it's a journey of course well absolutely and i I was going to say those are you know really important questions and uh and they're good reflective ones i think actually marshall recently written a book about life earned and so it gives you that whole process of reflection and looking back and 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 almost checking where you're at like you know if you stop and look at you know if you stop where you are in this moment and look back what do you see right what have you accomplished? Who have you helped? What difference have you made? What has your impact been? Those are all because at the end of you know at the end of our days, that's truly what we're we're, we're measured against and we're evaluated on, right? What are the what have we done to help others ultimately? Yeah, and Marshall does have the new book, The Earned Life, and I was just had dinner with Marshall last week in Charleston because we were speaking in the same program together yep. down there. 
But nice. you know, one of the, the interesting things, uh, when I interview those people with 18,000 years of life experience for the five secrets you must discover before you die, there was one practice 85% of the happiest people other people knew had hardwired into their life every single day, although they all did it in a different way. I came to realize almost nine in 10 of them had reflection hardwired into their day. And they said it differently. Like somebody would say, you know, in the morning with my morning coffee, I just like to spend a few minutes and think about my life. Somebody said, you know, right before I go to sleep at night, I think about the day and think about how it went. And that in one way or another, each one of them had done a check-in every day with themselves. So I think if there was one practice I would say to people, Check in with yourself every day and be completely honest. Yep. How did this day go? Was I my best self? Was I my happiest self? Uh, and then say, what small change do I want to make tomorrow? And over time, of course, that can lead to consequential shifts for yourself. Got you. Got you. I love it. I love it. Uh, something else I love, I heard you do, you, you work with uh, men uh, through a nonprofit organization uh, uh, that you're a part of, very much a part of, in the University of British Columbia. I wonder if you talk about that and, and its focus, because I think that's very much in, in, in line with the, the work that you're already doing. Yeah, yeah. So, so five years ago now, two colleagues and I founded an organization called Blueprint at the University of British Columbia really on the idea that we needed a new blueprint for men and masculinity, a new blueprint for men and boys about how they could be different for themselves, different with each other and different in the world. And, and what I always say oddly is that, you know, um, two things are true of men. First, we know that men contribute to suffering. We are more likely to do violence, more likely to commit sexual assault. We're more likely to abandon our families. Uh, I would argue that even the mess we're in in the world right now with all the war, there's not a lot of female leaders out starting wars, right? right. right. Uh, you know, uh, and so that doesn't mean that men are bad, but men have contributed to suffering. We must face that. What's less talked about is that men are also suffering. We're more likely to be addicted, more likely to have poor relationships with our families, much more likely to die from suicide, less likely to graduate from university or high school or, right. or a doctoral program. Uh, we uh, live shorter lifespans. Um, so men are suffering and contributing to suffering. So we're the only university-based program like ourselves in the world. That, that we don't have any students, we don't offer any degrees in gender studies. All our work is out in the world trying to figure out how can we change the conversation about masculinity, both for men to be better for themselves and men to be better for their families and communities. And, right. Uh, and it's been very profound work. We've worked with athletes, business leaders. Uh, one of the things we have, oddly, is a program for uh, male university athletes, where we take them on this journey to think about the kind of person they want to be and to be honest with themselves about how they're showing up and what they learned about being a man and what of that serves them and what doesn't serve them. And what does it mean to be a better brother to brothers in your life and to sisters in your life? And it's been really profound work. Some of these young men oddly have said to us, this is the first time in my life at 20 or 22 that anyone has asked me to answer those kinds of questions. 
Wow. And uh, we don't do a lot of teaching. We lead them on a journey to ask the powerful questions that in a way they know the answer to, but no one has ever forced them to, or give them the opportunity to ask that question. And we do the same thing with business leaders and firefighters and police officers, both men and women. But our focus is changing men and masculinity for the mm. benefit of men and for communities. You know, when, when you look at society and uh, the, the social constructs that, 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 that exist, and, 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 you know, for males and females, certainly, but as we're talking about men, and men are expected to be the breadwinners and, and all these things that are, are, are put on them. And, and when you're not doing that, you're not being a man, you need to be a man, all these sorts of terminology and things that are said that really puts pressure and so uh the, the fact that there's some work being dedicated to sort of breaking that down a little bit and 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 really de doing a a deep dive into into or to, you know into masculinity i think it's a wonderful uh, direction to go in and to have an organization that's dedicated to that i think is fantastic and so if for, for individuals that want to, to to learn more about that or connect with that what would we uh, where, where could we send them or where yeah, can you do can that just go to blueprint.ngo really easy blueprint.ngo out about our various work and just to put uh, a maybe exclamation point to what you just said Ali. some people say well why you know why do we need to do anything for men i mean men have had all this privilege all these years, right right and that's true sure but you know we've spent the last 30 years rightly so i have two daughters as by the way all the three co-founders only have daughters which is interesting <laughs> so awesome. you know we have learned from women how important it is for us to do something mm -hmm. about men but one of the interesting things is we've spent the last 30 years all over the world trying to develop and create opportunities for girls and women all over the world. We're nowhere near there yet. And it was very important that we've made the progress that we've made. We have a long way yet to go. But no, a lot of people forgot that you couldn't create a better world if you didn't do something to help boys and men also develop and grow and become their best selves. Uh, and so uh, we feel like we're doing the other half of the work that has to happen exactly. for humanity to thrive and communities to thrive. Uh, and so uh, we, we always say we're, we're a feminist organization in the sense that our work is going to be helpful to families and to women Absolutely. as we help men become their best selves. Absolutely. I love it. I love it. Every aspect of it. I'm, I'm all in there for that. So that's, that's fantastic. Um, I, I'd be remiss before we, we get out of here. And I got to say, Dr. John, this has been a, a great conversation. Thank you so much for the insights and the sharing. Thank you for your work. And I really, really appreciate the time. Well, I'd be remiss if we didn't touch on uh, the happiness course. You're teaching happiness. So it's not just you've written a book, but you're now also taking offering webinars. So we'll talk about that, what, what people can tap into. Yeah, so over the last few years, I have uh, started, really since the pandemic, I still yep. do a lot of work in person, but I started doing some of these online courses. They're live, you know, people come and, uh, and, and join. And I did one on leading for purpose last year based on my book, Purpose Revolution. And I just felt with everything happening in the world as we came into this year, the pandemic, the war, that you know, that I've learned so much about the habits of happy people that I thought I would do this six-part online course on the habits of happy people. And uh, it'll be me teaching and also a chance to talk to others in small groups. And so uh, we start coming right up here on April 13th. Uh, but even if you, even if it's after April 13th, you can join and the, there'll be recording. So if you miss Perfect. it, you can, you can join in. And so they can uh, just go to my website, drjohnizzo.com, D R 
J-O-H-N-I-Z-Z-O or I-Z-Z-O from our Canadians.com. <laughs> Yeah. And just uh, drjohnizzo.com, and they can find out more about that. But yeah, it's, and I love, I love the, um, you know, I do a lot of keynote speeches, sometimes to 500,000 people. Uh, yep. It's so nice in these courses, I can see the whites of people's eyes, and their smiles, <laughs> like your amazing smile, and just learn from others as well. I always say, everything, almost everything I know I've learned from my clients, the people I've coached, my own mentors, you know, because uh, I'm yes. kind of a sponge. I, yes. I, I'll yes. learn as much in the happiness course as I'll yes. teach, I hope. I've, I've oftentimes said that the greatest lessons that we learn in life come from other people. I truly, truly believe that. And so when you say that, I, I echo that wholeheartedly. So thanks for that. I will make sure that, uh, you know, we will put the appropriate links in our show notes and share that as well. So uh, individuals can take advantage of that. And I'm glad to hear that even after the 13th, they still can access that and, and have an opportunity uh, to, to gain some insights and knowledge from your learning so thanks for that dr john again thank you for, for like i said thank you for being here i really appreciate it. i've respected your work for a considerable amount of time now and uh going back to your you know stepping up as i said i i got it on my shelf behind me here uh and it's something that that i i valued uh and it's funny when i sort of stop and, and look at kind of where I'm at. And I, and I truly believe we're, we're a culmination of a lots of different learnings. And, and I think this podcast, there's aspects of your work that are included in that. So I wanted to personally thank you for that as well. And, and again, appreciate your time. And this has been absolutely fantastic. Yeah, and, and first of all, th you, you have such an infectious smile and personality. Oh, I can thank see you. why people would love working with you. And and I was thinking, you know, just to finish that, you know, as you know, Stepping Up, which we didn't get to talk about today, but Stepping Up was a book that I wrote where I, I went out and tried to find people who had stepped up yes. to create change around them from kids who stood up to bullies uh, in their school and started a worldwide anti-bullying movement to the frontline team members who discovered and pushed for the Starbucks Frappuccino to the people who stopped the whale hunt, you know, by confronting the Russian crawling fleet in the Pacific Ocean. And one of the things I discovered, oddly, that, you know, just I know a lot of your work is around really having these audacious goals and being your best self, was that only naive people ever change the world. <laughs> the first thing is believing that you matter and that you can make a difference. And anyone who's watching this podcast or listening, I want to say to you that, um, you know, Mother Teresa said there are no extraordinary people. They're only ordinary people who decide to do extraordinary things. Yes. And all of us have that in us. What I discovered is that passion is more important than pedigree. That if you really care about something and you're willing to work hard and put your heart into it, you can make a difference. And the stories of those people in the book uh, really show and showed me that, hey, if you care about something and you do the hard work, you will make a difference. Uh, and so I want to encourage everyone to believe in themselves and to believe that you matter because you do. That's an awesome, outstanding point to close on. Again, Dr. John, thank you for this. Thank you for the work and, 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 and all the best. Thank you. Thank you. Same to you. back we are on the podcast and much thanks and appreciation goes out to dr john for for joining me here and and sharing some really important thoughts and insights on the topic of happiness i would encourage all of you to check out his online course the habits a 
of happy people where he'll explore happy, you know, habits of happiness as a model uh, for excellence. And I'm going to make sure that the details are provided in the show notes so uh, the listeners can access it. Uh, it really sounds like it's going to be something fantastic. I'd encourage you uh, to check it out. Now, uh, you know, when I reflect on my conversation with Dr. John, he really left us with some great points. And if there's just one thing that I take from my conversation with him, it would be this. Although many people are, are in search of happiness, what's often overlooked is that our own happiness rests with us. And, and that's because happiness is and it will always be our personal choice. You know, it comes from choosing to be happy with whatever it is that you're doing. You know, things like strengthening your, your closest relationships, uh, taking care of yourself, whether that be physically, financially, emotionally, all have a direct connection to our individual happiness. You know, a happy life is something that we all desire. And the sooner we come to the realization that living a happy life is within our complete control and not something that just kind of happens to us, the more audacious our lives will be. Hey, listen, if you haven't registered for email notifications of the podcast, please know that you can do so simply by heading over to bestaudaciouslife.com and entering your email address, and you'll be alerted every time there's new content that comes out. We've reached the end of another episode of the Audacious Living Podcast. And as always, I have to thank, send out my thanks and appreciation to our amazing listeners, those lovers of audaciousness. I appreciate your ongoing support. It's absolutely appreciated and, and thankful of that. And uh, yeah, like I said, we're going to keep this thing going and going and going. Until next time, stay safe, be kind, show love to one another and be audacious. You've been listening to the Audacious Living Podcast, hosted by Audley Stevenson. If you enjoyed what you heard, be sure to like, subscribe, and share. Until next time, be audacious.